Today's show is brought to you by Qualcomm. At Qualcomm, inventing comes first. The rest of the world innovates on top of Qualcomm's foundational inventions. To learn more, visit qualcomm.com slash we invent. Hey, this is Peter Kafka. I'm the host of Recode Media. And in February, Kara Swish and I are going to bring together the smartest and most interesting people in the media world to Huntington Beach in Southern California. We want you to be there. It's the Code Media Conference. It's February 12th and 13th. You can learn more by going to recode.net slash events. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as a Russian bot, but in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts, or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. Today, I'm talking to Dipayan Ghosh and Ben Scott. Dipayan is a fellow at the think tank New America, and he's here with me in the studio in Washington, D.C. Ben is also at New America. He's a senior advisor to its Open Technology Institute, and he's joining us over the phone. The two of them previously advised the White House under Barack Obama and the State Department under Hillary Clinton. They're also the co-authors of a new policy paper that I attacked on Twitter that is the talk of the town called Digital Deceit, the technologies behind precision propaganda on the internet. Dipayan and Ben, welcome to Recode Decode. And thank you for coming in after I strafed you on the Twitter. I don't apologize for that. I'm glad you did it. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to talk about all that. But why don't we start, talk about where you started, and then we'll get to how you guys got to this report. So Ben, why don't you go first, and then Dipayan, talk about your backgrounds and where you met. Sure. Um, I spent most of my career in Washington working on technology and telecommunications policy. And uh, little known fact, that I may be the only guy on the planet who staffed both Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton <laughs> how was that? over the course of the last 15 years. So how did, I'm sorry, how did you get into it? Are you a techie or you just were interested in tech policy? I did a PhD in communications and studied the political economy of media markets and spent enough time in academia to realize I didn't want to be an academic. And I came to Washington to try to learn politics and got a job as a young legislative aide with then Congressman Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you moved on to Hillard, to the State Department. Is that correct? Eventually. I worked at, at a shop called Free Press for many years, working on such little-known issues as net neutrality, uh, and then uh, went into the Obama administration in 2010 and worked on tech and foreign policy at the State Department. Uh, when uh, Secretary Clinton left, I also uh, left government, uh, went to Europe, spent four years in Germany. Uh, running a think tank on tech policy over there. Which they love to talk about in Germany, and they have very different attitudes, obviously. And uh, Dipayan, what? how did you get... And then I want to know how you guys came to do this paper. Yeah, of course. Um, I'm, I'm a privacy engineer by training. I did a PhD in electrical engineering um, and uh, then moved on to, to start a postdoc uh, out in California and was doing study of information theory um, how you send information from from point A to point B and mm-hmm. uh, in a, in as efficient a manner as possible, right. and that got me interested in privacy issues. And um, I think really the the pivotal moment for me was the Snowden disclosures mm-hmm. after after that for many news <laughs> for many yes um, after that uh, news in in 2013. I became really interested in in public policy at the time. I was thinking about 
different different options. Um, and uh, where were you working at the time? Uh, I was I was doing my postdoc. Postdoc. Oh, so you're working on that. And was, when you say became interested, what does that mean? You're well, like, oh my God, the government that's spying on the, us. The government. <laughs> um, well, obviously at the time it was a, it was a huge public debate. What should the government do? What should companies do? How did this? How did we come to this place? And uh, how do we move forward from here? And the Obama administration at the time began a serious inquiry into all of those questions. Um, and I had the opportunity to to come to to the Obama White House and uh, and, and work on a lot of these issues. Um, so uh, I was there for a couple of years, helping think about consumer privacy and commercial privacy issues, um, and uh, amongst uh, some other things. And um, ultimately, we released a major report on big data and uh, and privacy and. In that report, I think we we made a number of recommendations that move the ball forward um, toward uh, progressive consumer privacy reform, um, and there was a lot of follow through on on all of the recommendations, particularly from from the administration itself. Um, a couple of years later, I, I transitioned to Facebook, uh, and um, that. You know that was a, it was a, it was an inspiring time to join the company and um, to to try to help think about how it could solve a lot of challenges around user privacy issues, um, and um, that that brings me to my work with Ben at New America. So you were at Facebook for how long? About a year and a half. And what did you do there? What was the actual? You worked on privacy issues. What does that mean? Yeah, I was uh, I was functionally the the company's privacy and public policy advisor, focused on. U.S. privacy issues. U.S. privacy. And, and you were supposed to do what? Be an irritant to them and say, or, or be, go along, how can we violate privacy more? Think strategically right. uh, within the policy team, which is the team that I work for, think strategically about how the company can continue to innovate and create amazing products that can win users and uh, win attention. Right. Um, while also thinking about user privacy issues and, and maintaining a commitment toward uh, individual privacy. Right, right. It's really hard when your business is predicated on a, a slot machine of attention, really. It's kind of, it creates a real pride. It's like being a cigarette company and saying, we want people to be healthy kind of thing, like that, that, which I think we can talk about. You know I have that attitude, uh, much to Facebook's chagrin. Um, so you two got together at the, at the New America Institute. Is that correct? Or new, it's just called New America. Correct. It's it's called New America. It used uh, to no, be. No, we've heard about the little controversies about it. It used the to be Eric called Schmidt's New America. That's what we like to call it in Silicon Valley. But it's, sorry, <laughs> I won't. I won't. I won't. Well, we do. St- we do you. still have a, a a conference room uh, named after him. Oh, do you? Okay, it, it used to be called the New America Foundation. It's right. now called New America. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Ben should really answer part of this question because he fundamentally helped create this new initiative right. um, that I joined. All right, Ben, why don't you talk about the new initiative and how it led to this paper, Digital Deceit, the technology behind precision propaganda on the internet. And I do like Digital Deceit. It sounds like a movie that we should all be watching. But why don't you talk about how you got to that? You created this group with that within New America. Well, I, I am a part of a team that had the idea that we ought to build new ways of working for think tanks. That mm-hmm. This old model of white papers for insiders was only going to go so far in this political environment, perhaps not even as far as it once did. 
And so we decided, hey, there's an opportunity here to do work at the intersection of technology and policy and practice. Mm-hmm. Let's build teams of people who are policy experts and engineers and designers and organizers and product developers. And let's try to do stuff uh, in addition to just talking about it. In, so, in, like a startup in a lot of ways, like a policy In a lot of startup. ways, yes. Yeah. So it's it, it's called Public Interest Technology. We have a group of about 15 people that come from all of those different backgrounds. And one piece of what we do is technically informed policy analysis that tries to make uh, interventions and policy debates by talking about what's happening in the market, how the technology influences the development of both public policy issues and consumer benefit or consumer harm in order to inform uh, debates uh, in the media, mm-hmm. governments, and in the industry. So that that's what this this paper is, that piece of the public interest technology. Sure. So what you're trying to do is essentially what think tanks have done since the beginning of time. is just using new tools to do so, right, in different ways, and actually have solutions-based kind of exactly. things rather than just a pompous paper. Everybody has a cocktail party that discusses, and then it goes in a drawer. Right, pretty much. The idea is that the paper is the starting point and not right. the ending point of the process. All right. And so you so with this particular thing you you focused on something people have been st- have just recently started to pay attention to, but a lot of us have been talking about this issue, which is um, how, you know, the weaponization of social media, the uses of it for propaganda. You may not know this, but I actually was a propaganda studies major at, at Georgetown and Columbia. Both of my, I'm very attuned to the idea of uses of propaganda. It's been used since the beginning of time from walls in China to Nazi, uh, the most famous is Nazi propaganda, obviously, but it's been going on forever. Um, this is not a new thing. It's just these tools are more sophisticated and, and um, dangerous, probably. Um, so your idea behind the paper is that you guys got together to write this paper. Define, why don't you explain the paper and what you're saying in it? And in your words, I'm not going to... Sure. Um, fundamentally, we believe that, and we write about, that um, there is a fundamental issue in the uh, construct of this whole digital advertising ecosystem. Um, the The ways that we have created this digital advertising ecosystem over time, which is you know, the fundamental way that the, the internet works nowadays and um, is probably the biggest money-making machine over the internet mm-hmm. um, is uh, it, it, it carries a fundamental flaw um, which is that there's a there's an implicit alignment in the interests of the large internet platform and the adv- advertiser that is all fair and well but when that advertiser becomes let's say has Malevolent. an issue a malevolent, has a nefarious um, motivation, like a disinformation agent, uh, we need to segregate that shared goal mm-hmm. between the internet platform and the advertiser. And and that means that we need to figure out who those disinformation agents are. Um, our paper uh, discusses all those issues, um, but it also pulls away from the specific lens on Facebook, Twitter, and Google, and Russia, mm-hmm. and Which argues... Which is highly emotional, obviously, his partisan, political, absolutely. as it should be, by the way. Absolutely it is. Um, and argues that while that's the center of this debate, and as it should be, there is a, there's a much broader ecosystem here, um, and that goes from behavioral data tracking to, um, to certainly online ad buying and customer audiences and lookalike audiences, 
but also extends to search engine optimization and management platforms of social media. And many of these technologies are going to be supercharged by artificial intelligence as it's increasingly mm-hmm. integrated into the technologies underlying the web. All right, Ben, give me your thoughts on, on what you're trying to achieve here with the paper to start with, to start this discussion, as you said. We want to shift the frame from a, a political analysis of how to stop Russians from violating American national security by distorting elections. Mm-hmm. And focus Which is on the a, large... a laudable thing to try to stop doing, but go ahead. Yeah, I'm glad people are doing that, but this is, uh, even if we slammed the door on the Russians and they were unable to uh, use social media to affect elections again, we haven't stopped the problem of disinformation. Right. Disinformation is endemic to internet communications. How do, we, how do we account for that? What's going on? How does it work? What are we going to do about it? So our right. goal was to literally lay out the map of the mechanics of how disinformation operations work. It's not just Russian agents woke up in the morning and bought some ads on Facebook. Right. No, no, got that. Uh, I mean, it's easier to talk about it that way, for sure. It's easier to talk about that. So we wanted to play to systematically identify all the players in the market, describe what the tools are that they use, and to make the point that these are the standard tools of the digital advertising industry, which is one of the most effective innovations in digital commerce, and that those tools are the tools of the disinformation campaign because they are indistinguishable from any other advertiser. Right, absolutely. And until we deal with that problem, we're not going to solve this problem. And it is very likely to get worse because the technologies of the advertising industry for micro-targeting, behavior tracking, uh, segmentation, and influence are getting better and better. Right. And changing also as we change the technology. Absolutely. I was just actually talking this morning on one of the cable shows, and I said it's not what happens in VR, what happens in AR, what happens in when we have things embedded in our eyes, when we can be tricked and fooled with all kinds of cloud and technologies and things like that, and things we can't even imagine, um, which are coming down the pike at some – essentially any any old episode of Black Mirror will – help you understand that. Um, I don't. I mean that in a joking way, but not really, is that it's regressing rather quickly. Um, as they fix one, clear one deck, they, another one comes up open pretty much, correct? That's right. It's a moving target. Right. So when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit uh, about what are these tools are and what are the ones that are really problematic. And then in the final part, we're going to talk about what are the solutions. Um, and I do want to talk about some of the issues I have with you because I do think the administrations you worked for really did drop the ball in a lot of ways to regulate these companies before they got more powerful. And it was really the Obama administration who was in power when these companies came to real true power. And we'll talk about that and more with Depayan Ghosh and Ben Scott. They are both fellows at the Washington think tank New America. They've just written a paper that's gotten a lot of attention, a policy paper called Digital Deceit, the Technologies Behind Precision Propaganda on the Internet, when we get back. Today's show is brought to you by Qualcomm. At Qualcomm, inventing comes first. When they connected the phone to the internet, Qualcomm's foundational inventions created the mobile revolution. And now as Qualcomm leads the world to 5G, their inventions will enable new industries and the next great product the world can't live without. Qualcomm is inventing the tech the world loves. To learn more, visit qualcomm.com slash weinvent. I also want to tell you about Too Embarrassed to Ask, my other podcast, which I host with Lauren Good from The Verge. That's me. Oh, here again. You got in the room. Every Friday, we answer all of your questions about consumer techs. And this week, we talked about sound needs. 
<laughs> sound needs. In the home. I home like how sense. you redefined yes, the category. Also known as speakers. Speakers. Yeah. <laughs> we yes, talk, okay. We talked with Sonos CEO Patrick Spence. Sonos has been around for a while and is Great one of the company. leaders in the wireless audio market. Um, but also we talked about the fact that Apple's HomePod is coming out soon. And so we had a lot of questions for Patrick. Patrick, what was your favorite part of this week's podcast? Well, I think it's really about how Sonos is going to take on the big tech giants and continue to lead in this smart speaker space. <laughs> oh, I like it. That was a great answer, Patrick. And we talked about Google. We talked about integration and, and where sound is going, essentially. And you didn't take any shots at Rim Blackberry, too. So that was that was fantastic. Oh, <laughs> damn. I think she All got right. one in there in the beginning. <laughs> um, it was a great discussion. I hope you go listen to it with Patrick Spence from Sonos. You can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there. We're here with Depayan Ghosh and Ben Scott. They're both fellows at the think tank New America, and we're talking about their latest paper, which talks about, I think, pretty much the, the weaponization of social media and how it's beyond the Russian bots, essentially, which Ben was just talking about, and how you push that back. Why don't you start, uh, Depayan, talking about the landscape? What is What are the, some of the things that are happening right now? Because as Ben just said, things change rather quickly. Yeah, of course. Um, there's there's a broad ecosystem here. At the center of that are the are the advertising technologies that are managed and operated by the companies that that are in the public attention right now. But it really this whole um, issue of Russian propaganda over the internet is based on a series of technologies. And the the number one thing that that Ben and I uh, are are concerned about is the long term collection of behavioral Data. Data. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the report, we talk about... Uh, Let me just stop you. Explain sure. that to the regular people. Just assume that everybody's you. Like, who, what is that, that is essentially what everything people do on the Internet is recorded and what the, how, how they behave, where they go. Absolutely. And, and we, we talk about the Internet. We also talk about technology, including mobile phones. Right, especially um, mobile phones. Absolutely. You know, I think it starts with certainly the use of major consumer web applications like like Facebook, like Google, like Amazon, which increasingly understand our interests. Mm-hmm. Um, they know our preferences, our behaviors, our beliefs, our likes, uh, our dislikes. And those um, that information that they infer from are li- uh, you know mm-hmm. clicking like or searching for recode on well, there's on, signals on all the time they're they're signals and increasingly they can determine our individual personal intent mm-hmm. and that's how that's how all these technologies over the internet are are monetized right. by understanding our intent and and uh, targeting advertising. And the more they know about you the better because that's and that's gone back since when you were at a supermarket and they knew if you bought cat food and litter and skim yes. milk, you might be a single lady or something like that. Whatever, whatever they did. Um, I used to cover retail and it was a big deal. The data they'd collect from your purchases at the time, yeah. which was minor compared to now. And one of the things I think we should underscore is when we move into the mobile age, when you sat at a computer and went from website to website, that was all they knew. And they could infer a lot from that. But now when you're on a mobile phone, they know what you search, then where you go, and then what you call, and then what you like. And then it goes, it creates an entire tableau. Um, you can't you can't even understand how much. And when you introduce it into the home, it's even more so. Because um, you get a complete picture. It's a photograph of a person's life, essentially, and their needs. Absolutely. That was that was where I was going to go next, which is the, the implementation of cookies um, on the web. 
which really help the the major companies as well as the smaller players in the advertising ecosystem, uh, as well as uh, you know consumer facing retail companies like yeah. Nike or um, or eBay understand more about us. All right. So Ben, when they're doing this, it's that is their business plan. That's that is there's nothing else. I mean, that is the, the at the heart of Google's business for sure, um, getting you to what you want. Same thing with Amazon, same thing with Facebook, not Apple or others uh, necessarily, but in that in that zone. So can you talk about that? Like it, it, how do you then if that's what they you just describe what they are and what what their business is. Yeah, I mean that, that's the fundamental point of the paper that the scandal over Russian disinformation on the internet does not depend on the Russians using some tricky new technology. Right. They're right. using the fundamentally normative tools of the, of the digital advertising industry that are at the center of the business. So talk then about what you changed, because you're just saying, well, you know, I'm going to use the cigarette analogy, even though cigarettes actually kill people. This is a little different. It warps people. I think that's it mentally warps people. Um, if your business is predicated on people smoking cigarettes, you can't really shift into another business, or can you? What, so you, you have you've essentially described what they do and say this is their business, and their business is easily manipulable in, in all kinds of malevolent ways. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying, I, yes, we are describing how this ecosystem works. We're not necessarily saying that it needs to be broken down and, and changed, and we need to change the fundamental ways that we pursue monetization on the Internet. Rather, we're saying that there are some key technical flaws in the mm -hmm. system that, that need to be solved. All right. Go through them. Ben, why don't you start? Well, for me, the core of it comes down to the harm created by leveraging personal information and the social graph to enable political advertisers peddling disinformation to manipulate your prejudices in the same way that a retail advertiser would attempt to manipulate your consumer preferences. That's the core of the problem. That's what's mm -hmm. generating filter bubbles, alternative media realities that people live in that inform their political views and choices. How do we how do we disconnect from that pattern? Mm -hmm. You know, we have to we have to look at whether it is appropriate to collect and store political information as a part of the per of the data profile, whether right. it's appropriate to sell that to advertisers, whether it's appropriate to sell it to political advertisers. If you're going to sell it, what kind of transparency should be in place? How should the consumer know why and how they're being targeted with what kinds of messages? Not, none of those questions are anticipated under current law, and we're not having that discussion yet in the context of Russia, national security, and Twitter bots. I think nor are the companies thinking of it because they don't. And we'll talk about how they think because they don't think, they don't anticipate malevolence oftentimes or else they willfully ignore it. I'm not really clear which one it is that's at work there. But I often think they, they think in opportunities, not necessarily in problems like that could happen. Um, all right, so that's one, obviously. Second one, another one? Uh, well, if, you know, for me, I, this is this is very much related to, uh, to Ben's point, but... Um, the, the the flaw to me the, the the major flaw is that it is hard to detect malevolence and mm -hmm. there has to be a way to to build around this uh, there has to be a way to detect the fact that there is an agent working let's say for the Russian government who 
who wants to persuade an American voter or 100,000 American voters with a particular message. Or confuse them or distract or anger them. Or confuse them or distract them. And, you know, I think that we have to start thinking about our regulatory system. There are, you know, traditional media is the space for which our our regulatory system has been designed, and mm-hmm. it's it's eroded uh, in in terms of its influence. It, it's obviously still very influential, and you could argue that um, no, the game is at Facebook. The game is elsewhere. Increasingly, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, as traditional media uh, erodes, new media is 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 coming to the fore, um, and yet our regulatory system is designed for that that old world. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know what what Ben and I have been thinking about is, you know, how do we translate the regulatory regime for this old system into into one that can be applied to the new one? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that, I think, can, can solve this major flaw of, you know, detecting malevolent actors in a, in a number of ways. So, Dan, let's talk about the, the technology of doing that, because a lot of a lot of what Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Facebook and founder, and others have talked about is you, and I just interviewed um, Sundar Pichai, the CEO of Google, talking about AI and how the ability to use that will give them more tools in order to do this. Is this just more, you know, they tend to try to talk about AI and other things. I was talking, focused on the future of jobs and this happy, shiny future, we'll take care of it ways, but pretty much... They're not bringing a very happy, shiny future at this point and have made enough mistakes that people begin to question their ability to handle the technology. So can you talk a little bit about um, what, how that happens if you want to create a new regulatory framework? You've got to obviously, because of the, look at the lobbying money that Google and others are spending, is enormous. I think it's one of the biggest this year. How do you then create something that actually does what you're saying? The first thing you have to do is create political will. Mm-hmm. You have to create political will by educating the public about what's at the root of this problem, which is why we're so focused on shifting the debate from Russia and national security, as important as that is, to the fundamentals of the digital media marketplace that trades on data to target persuasive messaging. We need to begin to control the way that's done. Otherwise, we're going to continue to see adverse effects uh, in the public. People need to understand that. And I think, ironically, it could well be that the political will that we've never had to address commercial data privacy in this marketplace won't come from e-commerce, but from political disinformation. Mm-hmm. People, okay, so get people there. This we is what they're get mad people about. There. Second so is... Can I just, I, before you answer that second part, how sure. come they're not mad? Well, because they never are. They know, I mean, there can be one data breach after the next and nobody seems to care. That's... that's <laughs> It's a question that has uh, been vexing for consumer advocates like me for many years that, mm-hmm. you know, people are willing to trade away their privacy for very little. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> as much as I might like it to be different, that is how it is. And the companies recognize that. And as long as their users aren't complaining, they don't believe they have a problem. Right. right. But that's what I think is different about this moment, this moment where We are now in a political context where people are realizing, wow, something fundamental has shifted. We are divided in a way that we haven't been in generations. We we just live in different different media environments with different sets of facts. How did that happen and how Mm -hmm. can we begin to undo it? And at the root of that is data privacy. Mm -hmm. Can you get people to understand the connection between what they're mad about and what the problem is? That is our public education challenge. 
Mm-hmm. And once we have accomplished that, gotten people there, then we can begin to talk about, all right, how are we going to solve that problem? All right, what part of this? A second point. This is where I was going with that is once you've gotten people there, then you need to think about, all right, how much of this can be solved with new technology? Can you deploy an AI system to detect and remedy disinformation in the way the companies have done it with child pornography, terrorist speech, things of that nature. I think there's certainly a role for technology to play, and I would welcome all of the innovative minds focusing on that. But I think ultimately there have to be, at the very least, bright line rules about what the public needs to in order to be protected from harm and in order to maximize benefit. This is the new media environment that provides information and news to our democracy. We need to protect it and make sure that it has integrity. So you're talking about regulation that doesn't seem to be coming, even though there's been a lot of hearings and everything else. I Perhaps I'm cynical and old, but I feel like it's this has been going on since the beginning of the Internet. Nobody seems to have the political will, despite even I know this could be you're always looking for a a moment that will change everything. Um, Everyone's always talking about a, a privacy or data Armageddon that will finally get everyone to realize that, wait a second, this stuff has control over our lives. We don't understand. Um, and this may this moment may be that, but again, it's highly politicized, and people are even arguing whether it even matters. You, you know, I think it gets pulled down in the, the miasma of Washington politics. Um, do you feel if the, if this is a moment and there is political will, who has it, and how can that be done in a non political way? Because th- it seems it's like that's the only way to do it. But whoever's being disadvantaged is going to be louder, like the Democrats right now. Whoever isn't is going to be quieter, like the Republicans. Um, and when the Democrats were in power, they were very silent about these issues. I mean, now they're suddenly born again internet haters, but they were, as I said on your, on the on the Twitter, they were um, pandering suck ups for a long time. Not you in particular, <laughs> not you two, but they were like there's just no other way to put it. Like they were pandering suck ups to to the to the tech industry. Um, well, I, I I think that the discussions in in DC, uh, and I'm talking about the testimony um, that. Uh, that Colin Stretch uh, participated in for mm-hmm. Facebook um, and Richard Salgado for Google. You know, they sent their most boring executives, but go ahead. <laughs> um, Part of the strategy. I think that those discussions, this this current intent in Washington and, and interest from the public to think about think strategically and critically about the industry can lead somewhere. And I think Ben just suggested it in, in his last, uh, last statement about using AI. I think that these discussions can really lead to industry action in the, I wouldn't say immediate, but shorter term, um, to try to use different signals like the geography, the, the, the origin of the advertiser and the uh, mechanisms for targeting and the, um, and the intended audience and the content of advertisements or organic content. Um, those types of signals can be used to try to draw out with let's say 95% confidence that, okay, this, this advertiser, this guy is a disinformation agent. He, mm-hmm. he or she is trying to influence malevolently um, a voter. So I think that that's, uh, you know, I, I hope that these discussions can lead us there in the, in the next one or two years within the industry. I think in the, in the longer term, um, and, and touching on your broader point about Democrats, Republicans coming together and, and thinking about privacy, as we know, there is no baseline privacy law in the United States no. uh, like there is in, in Europe. And, um, you know, these two places are 
culturally different. Um, and in America, we have for a long time valued the, the strength of the market. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that this is a moment, but I think it'll pass. And I think that we will be in that longstanding trench of uh, trying to figure out where we go on data privacy. Right. And it's frustrating. It's a, it's a long battle. There have been many people who've, who've participated in it. And um, Ben and I are right. part of that group. Um, and I, I think it can happen. But you're right. There is political gridlock right now on, on that issue. It, it, as, it, as it, there it is reminds me others. a little bit of the—and I know Ben has to go in a minute, and then we'll finish up the yeah. last section with uh, Depayan. But, but, Ben, it reminds me a tiny bit of the oil industry, like how much influence they had or the stopping electric car—you know, who killed the electric car. And, you know, we all know that pollution is bad for humanity. We all know safety regulations that we didn't have in minds were bad for people. But they continued because of political influence and will. Um now, everybody is jacked into the Internet, and they do know. And besides not just this issue, but the issue of tech addiction, of how they design these systems to keep you again in the slot machine of attention, um, which I think if you think of slot machines, you really do start to understand what's happening here. Um, do you – when you talk about this idea in this paper, I, what I want to do because you've got to go is if you could just – what do you – you write this paper, point out stuff that people do know that this is – who do you see as having of this actually turning into real change? Because the only one I see is Marguerite Vestager in Europe. I'm just using her as an example. There's a whole bunch of commissioners there. Um, or European regulators seem to be the only ones who are holding Internet companies' feet to the fire. Um, and I only say that because when I interviewed President Obama a couple of years ago, he was calling what they were doing in Europe protectionism, not, you know, good policy about privacy. Instead, he was saying they're trying to protect their crappy companies there. So short and sweet, I would say I'm not holding my breath for (laughs) Washington to take any aggressive regulatory action anytime soon. They're not solving any problems, much less this one. Um, However, I do think that the intelligence and analysis that comes out of the debate over these issues in the United States is being watched carefully by Europeans. And in May, they will implement the General Data Protection Regulation. Yep, they will. And there are many European regulators, not just in Brussels, but at the data protection authorities all across the EU, who believe that what we are pointing out in this paper is unlawful under the GDPR. Mm-hmm. And I predict there's going to be a Pandora's box of adjudications on these questions as, as the Europeans test both how far the law allows them to go and where there is political will to take action. Absolutely. Is that going to be partially informed by Europeans' own economic interests to promote their own tech sector? Of course it is. Is it also informed by a principled commitment to protecting data privacy and the integrity of democracy? Yes. Right. But the game, name of the game is America and China, isn't it? So where, where there's a little less respect for that. True enough. True enough. All right, Ben, you have to go, but we're going, when we get back, we're going to talk to Depayan about uh, what are the things we have to do to, to make this happen and where it goes from here and whether the Internet companies are finally understanding the damage that they've caused and what they need to do about it. We're here with Depayan Ghosh and Ben Scott. They're both fellows at the think tank New America. They've written a really interesting paper you should read. It really is actually readable. Digital Deceit, the Technologies Behind the Precision Propaganda on the Internet. And I wanted to say propaganda. It's also uh, precision targeting, precision manipulation, precision advertising, essentially, on the Internet. Um, When we get back on Recode Decode. Hey, this is Peter Kafka. I'm the host of Recode Media. If you like this podcast, you will also enjoy Code Media. It's basically a live version 
of a podcast just like this. It's a two-day gathering of the smartest and most interesting people in the media world. Kara Swisher and I will talk to them live on stage in Huntington Beach, California. It's a very nice place to be in February. You will also learn a lot. You will help your career. You will help your company. We want you to be there. Speakers include YouTube CEO Susan Wojcicki, HuffPost Editor-in-Chief Lydia Polgreen, Maggie Haberman, who you've probably heard of, uh, Adam Mosseri, who runs Facebook Newsfeed. Lots and lots of smart, interesting people. You should be one of them in attendance. Code Media is February 12th and 13th in Southern California. You can attend by going to recode.net slash events. I'm here with Dipayan Ghosh in a studio in Washington, D.C., talking about Washington, D.C. He's from the think tank New America. We just had uh, his partner in a report that the pair did, Ben Scott. Um, they're co-authors of a new policy paper. It's the talk of the town called Digital Deceit, the technologies behind precision propaganda on the Internet. That would be the talk of the town in Washington, wouldn't it? <laughs> Nothing too exciting. Um, let's talk about the current environment because uh, Ben was just talking about Europe having the commitment to do this. But in a lot of ways, it's... Not enough. It's got to happen here in this country. One of the things I did talk to you about when I was on Twitter was the money, first of all, the money that these companies have, the influence, and not just that, but the admiration um, that a lot of politicians have had for innovation. This is the one industry that we win at across the globe um, and still continue to dominate. Apple, Facebook, Google, um, all of them, uh, Microsoft, um, they, 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 Twitter, we, whatever you do, Twitter in their business, we dominate, the, the U.S. dominates. So talk a little bit about how if you want to change these things, you're also, and they make a very good argument that you're hitting innovation. That you're, you're, that China is going to just do whatever it wants, and and right now, even in Silicon Valley, there's a big, argu- there's a lot of people going. Well, in China, they don't have to deal with the niceties of sexual harassment, or they don't have to deal with like being diverse, or the kind of things that are also being discussed in Silicon Valley. So, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, what a what a loaded question. It's it's <laughs> it's, uh, it's, a, it's a it's a hard one to answer. Um, but I think well, I please think, unpack it and answer whatever I, question you want. I think what where the the place where we have to all come back to is our is our human values, mm-hmm. um, and what do we value in this country? What do we value as people? Um, well, for me, for one, I I value the right to privacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I value the right uh, to to agency and uh, individual agency and, and autonomy, and um, you know I think that. The, as, as we discussed earlier, uh, the, the fundamental business model of, the, of many of these internet companies is in contrast with that. It is, it is at engagement, at, keeping your attention, even in a healthy way. That's what you're saying. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. These two principles just, just don't match up. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Um, we've always tried to figure out how we can uh, organize markets in a way that is respectful and uh, meaningful for for individual consumers. Um, And I think that that's exactly where we have to come back to. So, you know, I think in in short, we really need to think about the regulatory regimes that apply to data privacy, as Ben mentioned earlier, um, uh, consumer protection, antitrust, uh, and, and a few others, we really need to th- go back and assess how our regulatory regime in the, in the United States is written and applied and think about how the Internet can be, uh, you know, under, under a new uh, set of guidance from government and, and informed by the public in a way that can bring us back to those 
human values that we we want to respect and um, as consumers continue to use these engaging products. So do you imagine these companies feel the pressure? Do you think it's genuine, some of these? They're now starting, you know, obviously Mark Zuckerberg, every five minutes he writes a 6,000-word essay on feeling badly or we're going to change it or we're going to fix it. And I, I literally have lunches every day. And what's interesting about it is about uh, a year or so ago, I was more attacking of them, and now they're engaged. They were like, stop complaining about our responsibility. And I think the phrase I try to use because um, they're geeks and they like it is with great power comes great responsibility, which is from the movie Spider-Man. It's actually a Voltaire quote, um, which is that they have to take the, they've taken the money, they've taken the power, they've taken people's lots of, they've done lots of damage, but now they have to fix things or, or as Facebook has said, move fast and break things. I'm always like, you've broken enough things. Let's try to fix them. Do you imagine that they are part of this answer? Or is that too, you can't let the powerful people control the outcome? They as in the companies. Mm -hmm. I I think the companies are part of the answer. I think um, the internet has created so much in the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that as many leaders have, have, have said already, on the whole, Social media and the internet platforms have, and still do, create so much value for so much positive. Mm -hmm. And this is a flaw that can probably be solved if we can can overcome these things like political gridlock and Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. So um, so I I do think it's achievable. But we need to think now about these things. And when we have the opportunity to, to push them forward again... Uh, we have to seize it. So I want to talk about how to do that because I, I, the, the thing I do I do stress, and I've said, I want you to explain, I, and you, you're to blame for all of the Obama administration and Clinton people. You you now carry the weight of all of them on their shoulders. Why didn't they do something earlier when they had a chance? Because I think what they tended to do is there's laws in place already around all kinds of issues. And I remember saying there's these are real new problems. Maybe we need new laws like when we went from horses to cars. Cars are different. They're sort of the same. Um, but they're not. They move forward. They move people forward in time or space or whatever. Um, why Why was there not? Was it just the, like the starry-eyed, isn't Elon Musk dreamy kind of thing? Or what, 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 is, what was the problem from, your, from being in it? Well, technology is inspirational. I mm-hmm. mean, Facebook is inspirational. Google is inspirational. Tesla and, and SpaceX are in- inspirational technologies and ideas that move people. Um, and boy, may- do they have a lot of money. They they do have a lot of money, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's because they they engage people across these ideas in such an emotional way, mm-hmm. and I think that's important, and that has has guided a lot of the the rhetoric about these companies and this industry over time. Um, you know, I, I, obviously, I, I I don't speak for the administration; only the only the president does. Mm-hmm. Um, I can say personally that. While I was there, I felt as though we were doing everything in our power Mm -hmm. to push forward fundamental privacy reform. Mm -hmm. Um, We've already stated that there there has been political gridlock on that issue. And obviously, in a broader context, there was uh, gridlock on every issue uh, in 2015 when the Obama administration... Uh, Healthcare, re- everything, right? Yeah. Yes, released uh, released the Consumer Privacy Bill of Rights yeah, Act of 2015, and I'm not saying there were that was a flawless piece of uh, uh, flawless. It was called a discussion draft mm-hmm. legislative proposal. Uh, it was not flawless. Um, it was 
it was advised by industry, by consumer advocates, by... I love your advised by industry, sorry. <laughs> well, what I mean by that is that there were, there were a lot of experts who, within the administration sure. who, had, who had come from... Yes, they had. Google and Facebook and, and other companies. Similarly, there, we were talking directly to the FTC. Mm-hmm. I myself would, at the time, have considered myself and still do a privacy engineer and, and advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was advised by a lot of voices. Um, and it fell flat. You know, we intentionally released it on a Friday night, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Taking out the trash, it's called in Washington. <laughs> uh, because we knew that it was dead on arrival, mm-hmm. um, let alone in Congress, you know, in the, in the public discussion. We anticipated it was going to be attacked from all angles, mm-hmm. whether we were talking about Epic, the, the you know, the left-leaning privacy um, advocacy group, which I deeply respect, um, or uh, or industry industry groups know, industry IAB groups or whatever whatever exactly so you wrote something nobody liked we wrote something nobody liked which <laughs> you know the the long long running joke is that that's where you want to be sure um, and yet you know because of because of all these reasons um, you know and the, other things happening you know uh, you're busy with healthcare you're busy of with course this. it wasn't it wasn't necessarily the administration's top priority at the time mm-hmm. the the president was obviously in his second term and uh, you know wanted to wanted to leave a legacy and get things done that could really have momentous impact for many many people mm-hmm. um, this of course can but i don't think any of us myself included anticipated all the harm that could come to the country mm-hmm. um, from uh, you know, a lack of fundamental Oversight. privacy. So let's uh, talk about where we're going. I think one of the things I'm not really, I mean, because here we are with this administration, which seems to not be more hostile to tech for sure, but in a really odd way, you know, Bezos, Washington Post, that's really not helpful. Like it's not, that's not really, it doesn't have any direction. It's just sort of free ranging rage toward it. And at the same time has been helped by it, looks like it a little bit. And so how do you imagine this administration? And then I want to talk about what what you see happening, what actually is going to get done. Well, it's it's very hard to read what this administration uh, is thinking about technology. I don't think they're Be- thinking at all. Yeah, maybe uh, you, you, you state it more directly. <laughs> I don't think there's anyone over there thinking. I don't think they filled those jobs or anything. Like that. Well, yeah, and that's a, that's a great point. OSTP is is um, the no. Office of Science and Tech Policy in in the White House is empty. Isn't um, a real estate agent empty. running it? But anyway, go ahead. Well, they, they've got um, you I know hope. I shouldn't say that they have they have longstanding staff there they who do. work very hard. Um, but they, it's decimated, let's be clear. It has been decimated mm-hmm. um, and cleared out. I mean, it should be cleared out and then filled out, filled right. up again by, by people mm-hmm. who are qualified aligned with the al- qualified and aligned with the president's views. So um, we don't know what those are. We don't know what those are. And he likes the Twitter. That's pretty much all we know. He likes Twitter. He's he's a, he's. I don't know where he is on Apple and encryption exactly. Well, ha- we'll know when the next thing happens. That's when he'll, he'll maybe maybe we'll know. So it's hard to read, and it seems from everything, uh, you know, who, who knows whether or not he's reelected. But at least for the next two or three years, it seems as though we won't have much besides deregulation of the telecommunications industry, which mm-hmm. is already happening. And um, you know, I hope it. I hope it can can be stopped by by Congress, but we'll see. But we don't really know what's happening with the core tech companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it, it remains to be seen. Um, I think that 
the president, you know, if they, if they start cozying up to the administration, um, there there could be, you know, prolonged um, delays, uh, gridlock, and yes, exactly. That's the delays. goal, I think, in a lot of ways. Even though they pulled off the councils and stuff like, and they try to make stands, I think their issue is their base, their employees, which is their base, don't like the cozying up. And so they tend to want to react to that, first of all. And at the same time, their interests, I, I wrote a piece saying, here's where their seven interests lie with them, including tax repatriation, especially tax repatriation. Because a lot of things, they are aligned, and, and it all has to do with corporate profits, essentially. So we're, so, and then the, the, in that story in the New York Times, which was really interesting, the Democrats are starting to, Corey, we did a Cory Booker interview a while ago where he was quite anti-tech, I would say, um, uh, he'd say thoughtfully, but it was pretty anti-tech from a Democrat. Um, and others are talking about it. Kamala Harris, certainly, in, when she was Attorney General of California, was very tough on privacy issues um, in that state, which is, a, which is similar to Europe in that regard. Um, or similar, not totally similar. But um, where are the people doing that? Where do you, name some names here who you think are going to be important going forward. Yeah, sure. I mean, I yeah, think And it, states, too, because I think it might be on the state level. You might yeah, in the Senate, I think it's hugely important and inspiring that um, that that Warner and and uh, Booker and the like are are speaking out about this McCain are are speaking out about this and and taking this issue on um, I should also mention you know people who have had a long-standing commitment toward consumer privacy as well um, Markey and and, and Blumenthal yes, among Markey them has. Um, and that is that is important I would love to see more people, especially in the Senate, standing up and and thinking about consumer privacy. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be in a in a way that you, you state rhetoric that is directly in in mm-hmm. contradiction of the of the internet companies. Um, I think that something like the Consumer Privacy Bill of Rights legislation introduces a lot of interesting ideas. Um, that the companies could could absolutely get behind if yeah. if it were done in the right way. But I would love to see people like, um, you know, Tim Kaine and um, Elizabeth Warren, Elizabeth I'm, Kamala abso- Harris. Absolutely, yeah, those are three. You it, should see. What about the House? You know, in the in the House, things there used are to be a few geeks. I can, I, yeah, I mean, things are things are more difficult. Um, you know, I I think Allison is. I think. He can be a real advocate, mm-hmm. but it, it's just hard. I mean, yeah, you can't come up. I can't. No, I, no, I'm, it, it's it, it's hard because I'm thinking of the of the Commerce Committee, mm-hmm. and one of the issues is that it is there there for a long time. The companies have been very close to the com, uh, yes. Commerce Committee, and and it's very hard to see a a way in for uh, consumer advocates. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I would have to think more about that. Yeah. All right. And so where else in the States? Any, any state that is particularly? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there are some, some states that have really taken on interesting and, and novel, um, approaches to privacy mm-hmm. in, in particular privacy. I mean, California has had a longstanding commitment to, to privacy and, has been thinking about, for example, broadband privacy. Mm-hmm. Um, my uh, the think tank that Ben and I work for, New America, has has done a significant push for uh, for broadband privacy at the national level with the FCC and uh, and in California once the FCC dropped the ball. 
Um, I think uh, I think California is one of those states that that I'd look to. Um, certainly, Washington, um, Texas, Illinois, uh, and Connecticut has and yeah. and and getting to Leslie, and then I want to get some predictions from you. Uh, the FCC, where a lot of this FTC and the FCC, yeah. um, where are we with them? Well, it, it seems as though the FCC's um, intent is to is to just deregulate the industry. Yes, deregulate everything. Um, just no more new laws. Rip everything away. down, and and it obviously hits hard for me. One of the issues that I worked on with with many people um, in the Obama administration was uh, the net neutrality. Yeah, that's gone. That's gone. That's. I mean, I, I should. Congress should have taken this up. This shouldn't be a, 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 a volleyball every time there's a new administration. Of course, it, it shouldn't be. And they, they, they I, I have strong emotions about it that <laughs> I can cry. go on for Don't for a long time. Um, he just and, weeped over that neutrality. <laughs> that makes uh, you a Washington person. <laughs> um, and. That that's an example where you know President Obama did have a strong commitment, mm-hmm. starting from his days in the Senate, tried everything he could, uh, in and people accused him of taking you know putting putting his uh, finger on uh, on the on the button yes, of the uh, you know, so, I you know I think that with the FCC it's frustrating to see a lot of the things that are happening. I mean the FCC's role is to bring regulation and, and enforce it on. A huge industry that has a lot of power over over regular people, right? And to rip down um, rip down the re- the you know the regulatory framework that has yeah, overseen they're not doing it. nothing. I, I was going to have you to say that they're not doing nothing. They're a- not going to do nothing, and not for a while. I think for a long time. I, um, I think not for a while. Um, and so, lastly, people. What do people have to do? And what are your some predictions? I don't see any regulation here. I just don't see. I think they can't agree on lunch in Washington anymore. And so getting to that is the last kind of thing. And creating more controversy seems, again, there has to be some sort of digital Armageddon, which even even Equifax hasn't kept people's level of outrage up. Um, and that's just plain old incompetence, you know, and, and greed, essentially, um, that everyone can react to, right? Like, wow, they really took advantage of me and people don't seem to care. So what can – where can plain old people do about this? Like, how do you maintain level? Because I think what they're meant to do is anesthetize us into um, – Liking your apps and liking, you know, just create having engineers figure out how to keep you more and more engaged with this and less and less enraged and more kind of it's like Soma almost from 1984. (laughs) That's how I look at it. Well, you know, I think that people have the voice when they when they come together, they can have an incredible voice. And I'm thinking back to net neutrality, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, John Oliver uh, talked about net neutrality on his show in 2014, and that pushed 4 million people to to comment to the FCC toward the goal of, of bringing strong net neutrality regulation forward. And of course, uh, we've heard a lot about bots and, uh, and fake accounts commenting to the FCC now and, and, and impersonations. Yeah. Um, but I, but I think that that is, you know, that is the fundamental thing that, that a, a citizen can do comment to her government that, you know, I want you to take these actions on, on my behalf and my kid's behalf. Right. Um, and that that's not just the FCC. That's that's offices too on the Hill. Yeah. Um, that's that's the number one thing I would say. Um, call your congressman. Call your congressman. I think Ben had mentioned earlier in this podcast that um, consumer education is a huge element. Which to, you're trying to do here. Obviously. To to the to the 
particular problem of disinformation and and privacy more more broadly. Um, and I think that we all have to be part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the company that I used to work for, Facebook, has has actually done taken a lot of incredible steps to try to uh, inform people about how it collects data and and how they can make choices about how they share information with Facebook. Um, are you with the group? There's so many ex-Facebook people now are like, I can't believe what we did. Do you feel that way? No, no, absolutely not. You know, I, there's like regrets. I have a few, except for the billions I've now enjoyed my boat. And well, I'm so without without naming any names, mm-hmm. I, I know who you're talking about. Oh, there's lots. There's not just a few, but go ahead. I, recently, there have been yes. a couple of uh, notable people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Ben and I are... are I don't think I, I know. Neither of us are trying to swing at the knees of of the industry that mm-hmm. has become the medium of communication today. Um, instead, what we want to do is is develop productive conversation and and help drive this conversation to something that can lead to something that uh, can can frankly make the world better for people. Um, <laughs> So is this I'm, overkill? This now it's like seems they're blamed for. I mean, I just said George Soros. I don't want to get a lecture from him about. <laughs> come sure, on, sure. manipulator of so many things. Like you know what I mean? It's really, everyone feels the the ability to pile on now. Yeah, and I thought that you were asking more more about ex Facebook employees mm-hmm. than. But that too, it's just. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, um, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, this is this is a broad issue now. Uh, it's it's one that everybody cares about, wants to have an opinion on, and um, I think that's important. Um, it, it just shows the, 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 the importance of getting it right. Right. Um, you know, I'm not with the camp that has said that, for example, Facebook, as an, as an example, Facebook was complicit. Mm-hmm. Um, having, having worked there, I, at the time, um, I can say that that's. I, I believe that that's oh, I, not the case. I agree with you. I just think they weren't paying attention. I think they uh, they don't think like that. I think it's hard to understand their mentality. I, I've talked about this before, but often I'll go in. And I'll I'll name six bad things that could happen with one of their products, and they're always like, "Carrie, you're so negative." Like <laughs> you know what I mean? And they actually, I don't think they're being tricky. And they're wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We know the problem. I think they'd never, they never they think about opportunity over problems. I think that that's absolutely right, and I think that that's how the market is designed, and 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 you know that's that's the um, underpinning of the American capitalist system, mm-hmm. and that's that's okay. Right. Um, I don't think that we should we should revert or not revert, but uh, change our system to the European one. I I and I agree with with President Obama when he stated that. There, there might actually be some commercial reasons as to as to the particular points of advocacy from uh, from some of the vice presidents of the European Commission and mm-hmm. EU, for example. Right. Um, I, and I think that that's important to, for us to think critically about. Right. Um, so, so you with this uh, very briefly because we got to go. Um, this report is the first thing. What's next? Well, uh, as we state in the conclusion, what we would like to do is. Just very briefly, in the conclusion, we talk about a few different steps, high-level principles that um, that can be pursued, uh, including consumer education um, by industry, by by public advocates, and 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 the rest. Um, and then we talk very briefly also about steps toward a new regulatory framework for not just for the industry but for communication overall. And 
uh, amongst those potential areas of further inquiry, um, you know, I think are, are privacy, consumer protection, and antitrust. And I think we, we lay out a couple of initial directions, but we're not fully knowledgeable about exactly where to go yet. Right. And we're conducting more analysis and, and, and want to So just think the beginning. This is, this is the beginning, and, and we want to think more about where we go from here. Great. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. I'm glad you tweeted back at me. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I was thank just you. trying to cause debate. Thank, thank you for having us I'm mostly mad at the time. Democrats because I saw them at all the parties. And <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, the internet. <laughs> and, I'm like, and I'm like, um, didn't see that when you were enjoying the lovely caviar canapes. Well, you're, you're a lot nicer in person. Than <laughs> That's how I do it. See? <laughs> That's how I do it. That's how I drag you into my web of... Uh, of interesting discussions. I always want interesting discussions, whether I agree with people or not. And that's what's most important because we got to talk about these things because we need to solve them. We don't want our society to go down and down and down into some miasma of anti no privacy and we're staring at phones and we're being taken advantage of. Because I think what Silicon Valley is, the good part of Silicon Valley is very good and the bad part is problematic in many ways. Anyway, I'm here with Dipayan Ghosh and Ben Scott was just here also. They're two fellows at the think tank New America, and they've written a, a report that you should read. It's a really important one, um, a policy paper called Digital Deceit, the Technologies Behind Precision Propaganda on the Internet. It's more than just Russian bots. That's my edition. Um, Dipayan and Ben, thank you for uh, coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes. You can find more than 175 past interviews in whatever app you use to listen to this or on our website, recode.net slash podcast. If you have a minute, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps people find the show. Now that you're done with this, you should check out our other Recode radio podcasts on Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You'll hear no-nonsense interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I host Two Embarrassed Ask along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode, and thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then.